and I'd like to welcome you to episode 22 this week in SPPA for the week ending March 3rd, 2017, the Oscars edition. In this episode, my co-host Jay Rosen and I take a look at the recent FUBAR at the Oscars around the Best Picture Award, and we consider it from the compliance perspective, <coughs> what failed in their compliance regime, and what lessons can be learned. We tie it to the Department of Justice recently released evaluation of corporate compliance programs and talk about the steps you should take to look at your compliance program in light of the Oscar FUBAR. The episode comes in at uh, just around 20 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to This Week in FCPA for the week ending March 3rd, 2017, the Oscars edition. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and cohort, Jay Rosen. Jay, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Great to speak with you on this Friday. So where does uh, this Friday find you? Uh, I am in uh, beautiful Boston, Massachusetts, where it was uh, 12 degrees this morning when I came into the office, and I was very uh, thankful that my mother-in-law, Phyllis, knitted me a lovely cap, which uh, was my present uh, over the holidays, and I got to put it to good use. Well, good, good. Jay, I thought we would devote this entire episode to the Oscars. Because we had one of the true great television moments of all time last Sunday when the presentation for the Best Picture Award was foobarred beyond belief. So uh, for those who may not understand the process by which a presenter uh, receives the envelope now, because when you and I grew up, the presenter would say, and may I have the envelope, please? And that went away in the interest of time. So maybe you could explain the process of how the uh, envelopes are given to the presenters who come on stage. And then from there, we can take off and see what uh, compliance issues that uh, we have identified and what some of the uh, lessons learned might be. Sure. So, um, as you kind of hinted at, Tom, you can have uh, – there's usually two presenters who come out, and they each come out from different wings of the stage. So one is given uh, a list of the nominees to read, and the other one is given a list of the winner, or uh, they don't like to say winner anymore. They say, and the Oscar goes to. So once that uh, envelope is opened – uh, usually it appears that one of the presenters will give the uh, envelope with the uh, winning uh, information to the recipient so they can keep that with his or hers Oscar. So I believe what happened was if they don't, uh, if the non-winning party or if the uh, other envelope is not used, it's supposed to be destroyed on the way out. And we had a situation here in um, announcing the picture as picture of the year that the wrong envelope was given to Warren Beatty. So when he went to open it, it said uh, Best Actress Winner, and it said Emma Stone, and it said La La Land. And that led to the confusion, uh, to the calling up of the La La Land cast, 
And then for the uh, egg on the face moment for uh, coming out and having to uh, tell La La Land that they weren't the winner and the uh, winner was Moonlight instead. So we had some uh, reality of Verite television on live TV, something we don't see a lot of anymore. I would certainly uh, assume that was non-scripted, uh, given the... Um, it, it was an uh, Oscar malfunction, like a wardrobe mal malfunction from the Super Bowl a couple of years back. Well, um, my, uh, my initial thought was uh, perhaps this was a parody of fake news. But uh, I'm now fairly well convinced that it was neither a um, a uh, <clears throat> malfunction nor a fake news. Uh, Jay, you, you really hit on several things that I thought would give us an opportunity to explore um, kind of the control, excuse me, the compliance failures and then what the lessons learned might be. It also, I thought, tied uh, really directly into some of the concepts that we saw in the recently released Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Program. So let me see if I can uh, set the stage a little bit. Um, I need to uh, give a shout out to our good friend and everything compliance colleague, Matt Kelly, because he wrote an excellent post on this entitled, And the Oscar for Control Failures Goes To. But he started off by talking about um, control environment. And by this, he means uh, document control. And here it was the actually the envelope control. So anytime when you have more than one uh, version of a document circulating or an item circulating, you have the possibility that the wrong item or document may be uh, placed into um, the limelight. And uh, PwC, who has tallied the Oscar results for I think it's 83 years, if I'm not mistaken, um, has the honor of um, having two of its partners uh, give the envelopes to the presenters. So that starts off uh, with your first issue uh, around control of the document, or in this case, the envelope. So we had a uh, in, um, control environment failure because there was not a um, double check when uh, one presenter, Ms. Martha Ruiz, gave out the award for um, Best Actress to Emma Stone. And somehow that stayed with the second presenter, Brian Cullinan. Uh, the next issue, and if there was ever an uh, ad for don't drink and drive, don't text and drive, don't take pictures and drive, don't be distracted and drive, don't do anything but drive when you drive, it was this, uh, don't text don't take pictures when your job is the control of the key document. And Mr. Cullinan uh, was, had asked for permission to take pictures backstage and text, and he was denied that permission from the Motion Picture uh, Academy. Nevertheless, he did so, do so. And so the question raised is, was he distracted? Uh, and a fair question. Uh, some, I think Matt even uh, really did not feel that that distraction could have caused this control failure, but um, having been, um, having had a bicycle Hummer event where the Hummer driver claimed he was distracted, I have some, uh, some amount of sympathy or some amount of personal knowledge of those who do 
two things while being distracted by one of them. And if he was taking pictures, if he was starstruck, if he wanted to uh, advertise PwC, uh, whatever he wanted to do besides keep control of the envelopes and hand them out to the presenters, uh, you have the possibility that uh, something could go awry, and unfortunately, uh, that did. Um, really, the next thing uh, Matt talked about was risk assessments. And this it may not be obvious, but if you have something that is high profile, it probably means it's high risk. And here, it doesn't get much more high profile certainly in Los Angeles, probably across the United States, and maybe even across the world of the Oscar winner. And there's a reason they give out Best Picture last, because it's generally viewed as the top award. And um, so you have a very high-profile event, which means you're going to have a lot of publicity around it. And even if it's relatively low-tech, like passing out an envelope, if it's high risk, excuse me, if it's high profile and there is a FUBAR, it's going to be a huge amount of reputational damage. And the hit to PwC, I think, is still ongoing. We don't know what the final fallout might be. We don't know what the fallout will be for Mr. Ru uh, Ms. Ruiz and Mr. Cullinan. Nevertheless, if you have a high profile event, uh, you need to put some high risk management around that. And I think we saw uh, a failure in that. So I've kind of riffed off for a while. Uh, anything in there that uh, you want to rein in on or uh, take it in a different way, Jay? Um, well, I, I think what this is going to lead to now, um, and just to kind of drill down a little bit deeper from, from Matt's idea about a risk assessment, is that uh, a new control process is most likely going to be put into place. And, you know, whatever way they have of correctly identifying those envelopes, I would think that's going to start going forward next year, whether there's, you know, a BP on the back of the envelope to uh, identify and signify that it's best picture. I mean, it sounds very, um, you know, simple that it should be done, but in retrospect, a lot of times uh, ethics and compliance gaps do seem simple, and it seems like your uh, your average person should understand how it works and what you do. So, um, you know, I think that's going to happen going forward. And uh, you know, the point that you bring up about being distracted and and starstruck, I think those are all two valid things. And you know, um, it, you, when you were speaking about that, it reminded me of two things. Uh, first of all, um, the uh, wide receiver in the Pittsburgh locker room who decided that he would get a little bit of uh, extra play time for one of the com companies that was sponsoring him. And he decided, number one, to break a cardinal rule of tweeting live uh, from a locker room after his team was victorious and his coach gave an impassioned speech that, maybe was laced with a couple expletives and could potentially be bulletin board information uh, for the Patriots players. So that was one thing that it recalled that, again, he did not know his time and his place, and he was trying to do something extracurricular, which has come back to uh, 
potentially haunt him. It'll be interesting to see if he's still with the Steelers going forward. Um, and the second thing, you know, and sorry just to kind of always come back to this, but to Belichick saying, do your job, and the people giving out those cards to the presenters weren't actually doing their job. They were getting caught up in the moment. So there's something about people having specific jobs and keeping to the protocol. So within the uh, context of my ideas about a high, if you have a high profile or a high risk uh, pro uh, procedure, you need to have a just a higher list or higher type of risk management. I think here we saw uh, both uh, the control failure with the presenter, but we also saw a, uh, a failure with, excuse me, a, a control failure with uh, the PwC partner who presented, gave the wrong envelope to the presenter, but we also saw a failure at the presenter level. And I don't mean to, uh, I guess criticism uh, is always negative, but I don't mean to next negatively criticize either Warren Beatty or Faye Dunaway because they were the ones that were up there in front of 3,000 people. Um, but at that point, even then, if they had said something along the lines of, I'm not sure we have the right envelope or hang on, is this a problem? Something, uh, there was a control failure there as well. Uh, perhaps they're, weren't given any information on what to do if it's a mistake. Nevertheless, if you take the root cause analysis as required under the DOJ evaluation, I think if you look at each one of those steps, there could have been a, a, a built-in control mechanism which might have alleviated the final end FUBAR, which was announcing the wrong best picture. And that was the ultimate high-risk failure, even if there had been some uh, uh, minor disruption along a process when someone had identified they had the, the wrong envelope, you know, perhaps the, the total failure would not have occurred at the end. So I think it's important, uh, and it shows to me the strength of why you have redundancies in compliance programs. Uh, one of the things that you criticisms you hear from time to time is that there are too many uh, compliance programs tend to be too bureaucratic. There are committees upon committees who are looking at committee work that com other committees have done. And I think one of the key reasons you have that sort of structure is so that you don't have something slip through the cracks. And if one uh, compliance practitioner, one chief compliance officer, or one agent review committee, for instance, may make a mistake and let something through then there is an oversight committee above that and perhaps even a, a board-level committee that might check it or catch it or even ask a question before uh, it becomes uh, public and you have a very high-profile FUBAR in public. So that's uh, one of the things that I think uh, really the, the Academy should take a look at. And then let me just move to a really different area because um, – I've read a couple of pieces about the reputational fallout to PwC over this. Uh, in one uh, item I read that the, the partners have been disinvited from ever doing this again, and perhaps that's harsh or perhaps not, but it really leads me to the, the area of who should be held accountable and more specifically, what should be the discipline delivered to the PwC partners. Should they be disciplined really at all? And uh, 
one of the things I'm very passionate about is there has to be consistent discipline across an organization. And I was very gratified that the evaluation really spoke to that too, specifically saying, has there been, have, have the disciplinary actions and incentives been fairly and consistently applied across an organization? Now, the issue here, I think, is um, I don't recall this ever having happened before. So there may not be a precedent to draw upon, but I think it's uh, going to be important that there not be too much discipline leveled on Mr. Cullinan, even if he was uh, texting while handing out envelopes, even if he was starstruck or distracted. Uh, there were multiple uh, control failures here. Uh, as with every compliance failure, there's not one person doing one thing that leads to one event, it's always a series. And there's uh, a lot of blame to go around here. He happens to be the very public face of PwC, and um, he probably will not be handling this task again, and that would be an appropriate sanction. But beyond that, I really don't know what would be an appropriate discipline for him if, as you correctly uh, point out, it could just have been a mistake. And should you be fired for making a mistake? Should you receive a monetary sanction for making a mistake? Um, I think all of those things need to be thought about in terms of the application of discipline around the accountability here. Well, I, I think those are all great points. And, and I think, you know, you do you have to uh, consider all of those as potential remedies. But uh you know, when you think about it, whether it was 82 or 83 years, it's almost um, amazing that there hasn't been a, uh, you know, ha had an incident where somebody made a mistake. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's very easy in, in retrospect to want to go back and assign blame. But I think the process which you kind of describe is to how to go back in to look at the root cause analysis and what kind of... Um, redundancies and protections you can build in the process to uh, make it go much smoother ne next time. And, you know, I'm sure the application of this will be uh, useful to other awards show too. So, you know, whatever happens between the Academy Awards this year and um, next year, I I'm sure this uh, incident will be instructive. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, shine the spotlight a different way. I had a piece that um, I contributed on LinkedIn earlier in the week, and, and I chose to look at um, ethics and compliance um, uh, lessons that can be learned from the Academy Awards uh, themselves in terms of campaigning from the awards and getting yourself in your movie uh, nominated. And uh, a couple of the things I spoke about, one was I took a list at the, um, I took a look at the top 10 grossing movies this year. And then I took a look at the seven pictures that were uh, nominated for best picture. And as is often the case, there is no overlap between those two lists. Uh, the top 10 grossing movies in the U.S., five of them were movies based on cartoons or kids' ideas. So, um, you know, Zootopia, Sing, and those type of animated movies. And uh, four of the next five were pictures based on Marvel comics or DC comics. And one of them was uh, the second uh, 
was a Star Wars movie that was uh, based on the Star Wars universe. Um, falling into the second category of those independent movies were Moonlight, War La La Land, and similar films of those ilk. So um, the one thing I said is whether you have a multi-million dollar budget movie or a multi-hundred million dollar budget movie like Star Wars or a comic book thing, or if you've got uh, a less than $2 million movie like Moonlight, what happens is you still need to assemble a group of artists and technicians, and they need to find a way to work together to have a common purpose and uh, to realize that artistic vision and to bring it to life. So I, I think that if you want to take an ethics and compliance lessons, is it doesn't matter if you're GE or if you're a small, mid-sized company, it is still important to bake in ethics and compliance into your workforce. And if everybody is held to the same standards and given the same education, that hopefully like the technicians in Hollywood, um, they will come together and build and, uh, you know, build a good product and run a good and ethically compliant business. Uh, the second point, and then I'll let you jump in, Tom, is that with those seven films that were nominated for Academy Awards, there's usually a process that starts way earlier in the year when some of these movies have been independently produced and they get acquired at a film show, at a film festival, at uh, Sundance or or Venice. And then the studio really backs that movie and runs a political campaign to get the film nominated and to introduce it to those members of the Academy. And the lesson I chose to take from that is that you as an ethics and compliance department may not have the big resources of the, the blockbuster pictures of the other departments within your corporation but you still have the ability to effectively campaign for ethics and compliance and to use the, the model of those smaller yet more artistic movies, you may need to find more creative ways and you may need to advertise those concepts to get corporate buy-in. But just like Moonlight won an Oscar, uh, hopefully at some point your ethics and compliance department can create an Oscar-worthy campaign and message as well. So I would like to, to really wrap up my part, Jay, by talking about what I thought was the extraordinary remediation. Just saying on how, uh, you know, the situation wrapped up in a, in a very positive way um, in, in terms of, uh, I guess, FCPA news. We'll probably jump back into it next week, but um, I, I think the office... Op are a real uh, interesting opportunity for us to uh, look at uh, risk and control procedures and also looking at um, how to end up on, on a positive note. Uh, and that was something that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the producer from La La Land can really get credit for. So um, I think for this week, uh, the week ending March 3rd, we'd like to thank you for listening in uh, and listening to the FCPA and Oscar week that was. Thanks, Jay, and look forward to uh, next week as well. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week in FCPA, the Oscars edition. Sorry for the feedback on the recording this week. 
If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help our rankings and help get the word out about this unique podcast. Also, if you have any questions, Jay and I would love to have a mailbag episode uh, featuring your question. So you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>